time, I hope this is a good sermon to hear. Good sermons are evaluated whether if they convict the one who is complacent and if they comfort the one who is afflicted. I hope this has both this morning. See, as we've been talking about, every true church of Jesus Christ is to be a disciple-making church. This is our hope and desire at Grace Chapel. We want to get back to the basics. We want to simplify. We want to remember our first love. What is the gospel? That's the question we want to get back to. What has God done for us in Christ? How does that good news actually impact tomorrow? What does following Christ look like in the ordinary of every day? These are all questions of identity. Who are we? What do we believe? What do we love? And what do we do? As we've seen the past few weeks, a key element of this answering those questions is this. Making disciples. Disciple making must be our focus. And Lord willing, it must remain our focus. Disciple making should take center stage in the very core of our identity. Grace Chapel, we must become more and more of a disciple making church. But as we saw last week, things get in the way. Unbelief is what we looked at last week. See, the reality is we are at war. Satan does not want us to become a disciple-making church. The world, the prince of the power of this world, does not want us to become a disciple-making church. Our own sinful hearts, guess what? Does not want us to become a disciple-making church. Sin often paralyzes us from disciple-making. Paul addresses a major reason why the Corinthians were failing to make disciples as they should. It's sin, sexual immorality in particular. See, there are, when we fail to make disciples as we should, it often happens because of sin, both our sin individually and our sin corporately as the church. This sin, any sin, all sin keeps us from making disciples of Jesus Christ. So in order to have a disciple-making church, we must become a disciplining church. Now don't be afraid of that word. We need to become a church that pursues purity. We need a church to, that is pursuing holiness. See, central to disciple-making is observing and obeying all that Jesus has commanded. So the question we need to ask is, what about those in our midst who claim to be a follower of Christ who are not observing and obeying all that Jesus commands? What do we do with those people? What do we do often with ourselves when we fail to, make, to, to live out according to God's word? Now, we're not, just to clarify, we're not talking about one-off sins. 1 Corinthians 5, Paul is referring to continual, regular, what we can define as habitual sin. This is a lifestyle of sinning. Yes, we remain sinners. Yes, we will continue to sin. But Paul here is chiefly concerned about those who are continuing to live 
and an unrepentant lifestyle. And that word is key, unrepentant. Paul is worried about those who are unrepentant in their sin. So what do we do? There's a need for loving discipline. For a church to be healthy, she must be a church that does not tolerate sin. A healthy church is a church that deals with sin, lifts up the beautiful forgiveness of the gospel, and encourages regular, faithful, and continual repentance. So this morning, my point, church, is this. We must, Grace Chapel, pursue a pure church if we are to become and bolster even more ourselves as a disciple-making church. We must pursue purity as a church to become a disciple-making church. As we walk through Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 5, verses 1 to 3, I want to focus our attention on those three things. The corrosive power of sin in verses 1 to 5. The purifying power of the gospel in 6 and 8. And lastly, the redeeming power of purity in 9-13. Our driving focus this morning is that we, as desiring to become a disciple-making church, must pursue purity in our own individual lives and together as the body. So let's begin where Paul begins with verses 1-5, to the corrosive power of sin. Here's what he's saying. Sin keeps Christ's church from becoming a faithful disciple-making church. Sin, both individual and corporate, hinders discipleship. It's worth reading again. Verse 1. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not even tolerated among the pagans. For a man has a father's wife and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn Let him who has done this be removed among you. I think it's fair to say Paul is incredulous. He is angered. He is astonished. He is heartbroken. This should not be. What is the sin? Paul addresses this particular sin that is eroding the Corinthian church. It's the sin of incest. It's the sin of what apparently a son is sleeping with most likely is his mother-in-law. Paul is furious. He cannot believe that this is taking place in Christ's holy church. This is something that even unbelievers don't tolerate. And here, it's being tolerated In the Corinthian church, a man continually engaged in sexual immorality with his mother-in-law. This angered Paul. But what really set him on fire was not so much the sin as how the church handled the sin. Look how they respond. There is sexual immorality among you. You're tolerating it. How arrogant are you? The Corinthians were tolerating the sin by allowing the sinner to remain in their midst. And not only were they tolerating the sin, but in their toleration, they became arrogant. Now at this point, you're probably thinking, I don't think incest is really a problem here. 
So we wipe, wipe our foreheads, let out a sigh, sit back, relax, check our watch. We have nothing to worry about. We're good. Maybe some of you have already turned the sermon out, tuned the sermon out, because this passage of this incest isn't really a problem here. I truly hope you're not doing that. If you are doing that, it's an arrogant response to God's holy word. We may not have a problem of incest, but we have, I think it's safe to say, and I'm talking not just about Grace Chapel, but any church, we have a problem in the church today of sexual immorality. Specifically one that greatly threatens the church today. One that keeps us from making disciples as we should. The problem is pornography. The problem is lust. That is the problem that all churches have today. This isn't an isolated problem. This isn't a problem for teenage boys. This is a problem for the church to address. Men, women, and children are enslaved by pornography and lust. This is not an isolated issue. You know what's striking is that unbelievers now are starting to see, and they are even rightly calling it an epidemic. And what does the church do? Remains quiet. When I was growing up, I had to get the courage to walk into the 7-Eleven to either buy or try to steal a magazine. Today, we have access to whatever we want, any image, any video, any text, on our phones, in our pockets. We have virtual lust factories in the palm of our hands. The very device we may be reading scripture on right now is the device tomorrow we may use to view pornography. We may not have a problem of incest, but we have a problem. It cannot remain unchecked, untalked about. It needs to be addressed. I am sure if we dive below the surface of Grace Chapel, we would find men and women and even children heartbreakingly enslaved to pornography. It is not a problem isolated to unbelievers. It is not a problem isolated to teenage boys. It's an addiction that is destroying the church. No wonder the church is anemic. No wonder the church is failing to make disciples. We are enslaved. And Paul asks us, have you become so arrogant? What must we do? What does Paul tell the Corinthians to do when they were confronted with sexual morality? Mourn. Mourn. Where is the mourning in the church? Where is the brokenness? Where is the weeping and sadness over our sin? Do we need to mourn? Do we as a church need to weep? We need to be broken. Do we need to confess our sins to one another? Why? Because we need Jesus. Now some of you may be sitting here thinking, oh, well, I'm safe again. I'm good. Pornography and lust is not a problem I have. I don't wrestle with that. Let me warn you to be very careful here. 
Paul was not only angry with the individual who was sinning, he was furious with the church who was tolerating it by not addressing those hard sins we tolerate sin by not dealing with things that we would rather keep quiet we tolerate it are we as a church tolerating sin paul says if you tolerate sin you have become arrogant you should be mourning do you mourn for those people you may not even know who are wrestling with sin do you mourn over the sins of lust and addiction to pornography do you mourn over the teenagers and the men and the women who are enslaved to it paul focuses explicitly on sexual morality here and i think it's only grown worse as a culture but he does not exclude other sins this is not just sexual immorality as a sin that destroys the church. This is sin in general. So Paul steps back and asks, are we tolerating sin? In some respects, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what sin it is. The question Paul is worried about is, are we tolerating it? Are we letting it go? Are we not talking about it? Are we pushing it under the carpet? Are we trying to hide and run from it? There's what Jerry Bridges has called respectful sins. They can be just as corrosive to the church. Gossip, lying, impatience, and unforgiving spirits, anger. Paul says elsewhere, if you think you're okay, if you think that you're not, you don't struggle with sexual immorality, and I don't have to worry about today, this sermon, if you don't think your sin is that bad, if you think you are safe, if you think you are standing taller than others, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, take heed lest you fall. If you think you're okay, if you think sin, of whether sexual immorality or any other sin, fill in the blank that you're okay from it, Paul says, watch out. The moment you think you're good is the moment you're gone. Sin is powerful. Sin is destructive. And sin is corrosive. But there's hope. The purifying power of the gospel gives us hope. Why is one sin of an incestuous man so damaging to the church? Why is a sin of sexual morality so damaging to the church? Why is the sin of lust and pornography so damaging? The sin of gossip so damaging? The sin of anger so damaging? Here it is. If sin, if left unchecked, it corrodes the church. If you let sin fester, it will work its way into your life and corrode your soul and you'll never be a disciple maker. If we are a church, as a church, let sin remain. It will work its way into our church and corrode our body. But there is the purifying power of the gospel. Look at verses 6 to 8. Paul says, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? 
cleanse out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. My first car was a 1969 candy apple red Ford Mustang. I really miss that car. I love tinkering around with it, even though as a 16-year-old, I usually created more of a mess, more problems with the tinkering. It was my everyday car. Some people have the show cars. It was my, it's what I drove. So for those of you who know, a car that is really old, I was taking it through winter. And what happens around here in winter? Snow. And what comes with the snow? Salt. And what does salt do to 69 Mustangs? Corrodes them. Sometime in spring, I remember I was working after that winter, I was working in the back seat of the car. I was standing inside the car working on something, and all of a sudden my foot slipped. The metal undercarriage of the car was completely rusted out, and the only thing keeping my feet from slipping was the carpet. I peeked under the car, and the entire undercarriage had rusted out in the rear seat area. So I tore, as any 16-year-old kid did, I may have been 17 at the time, I tore up all the carpet. I took two road signs. That's another story. I happened to have them. I took two road signs and I bent them up and they are thick. They are thick. I took them, I bent them and I cut them and I used, I couldn't weld, so I threw some JB weld there. Years later, I had to sell the car, sadly. I took it to a professional, I sold it to a professional car restorer. Oh, one more thing I did. I used that rubberized spray underneath the undercarriage, which I should have done to begin with. So it looked immaculate. I took it to the guy I was selling it to, professional car restorer. He looked at it and said, that undercarriage is perfect. And I'm sitting there back thinking, wait till he pulls up the carpet. And he's met there with a swerving road sign and a one-way sign. Here's the point. If you don't deal with the rust, the car is eventually destroyed. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. A little sin allowed and tolerated eventually allows sin to reign and destroys the church. So Paul reminds the Corinthians and he reminds us today, church, be a pure church. Pursue purity and here's how you can pursue it. Because there's purifying power of the gospel. Yes, sin is corrosive, but the gospel purifies. The gospel redeems. The gospel takes dead, broken people and breathes new life into us. The gospel takes dead, broken churches and breathes new life into us. The gospel has purifying power. The gospel gives us freedom this morning to talk about the sins that we don't want to talk about. Because that sin of lust, that pornography, the sin of gossip, all of those sins, Jesus 
covers with his precious blood. And that, church, is where there is hope. The gospel is able to purify. Look, if you look at 6 and 8, it works both ways. Sin takes the leaven and makes it worse. If you put the gospel in Christ's atoning sacrifice, it makes things better. There is hope if you're struggling with pornography. There is hope if you're a perpetual gossip. There is hope for your anger. There is hope for your sin because Jesus Christ died for those very sins that are in your mind right now. Those very sins that crush you. Christ was crushed for you. So those sins that weigh you down, that consume you, that keep you from discipling, Jesus Christ offers his life in your place. So we have the freedom to talk about pornography because there's forgiveness of our lust. We have the freedom to talk about our wayward mouths because there's forgiveness for our speech. We have the freedom to talk about our sinful thoughts because God forgives us for those There's a purifying power in the gospel. The gospel that Isaiah proclaimed years before Christ. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Put in there your pornography, your lust, your gossiping, whatever sin it is. Jesus Christ was crushed for that. Upon him was the chastisement, the punishment that brought us peace And by Jesus' wounds, we are healed. His wounds heal ours. His punishment brings us peace. The spotless, perfect, holy Lamb of God shed His blood so that we, His people, would not just be redeemed, but that we would become spotless and pure. If you believe in Christ, the Spirit of God is working within each and every one of us who believes to make us pure, to be holy as the Lord God is holy. We can pursue holiness because we have been ransomed, not with perishable things, but with the precious blood of Christ. So Paul writes in Romans to the church in Rome, and he says this, For the death Christ died, he died to sin. Once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. What he's saying is this we are no longer slaves. Start acting like it. We have died with Christ. We are dead to sin. And now we have risen, united in Christ to new life. We have been brought from death to life. Sin no longer has a stronghold on us. Sin no longer reigns in our hearts. Sin no longer has any power, any dominion over us. Therefore, we present ourselves to God. We are no longer enslaved to sin. But we are slaves to God. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed.
There is purifying power in the gospel. So let that purifying power of the gospel work in your lives. You are dead to sin. It no longer reigns. Christ reigns. We are alive to God in Christ Jesus. So what we need to do is start living like we are alive. How do we do that? We kill sin before it kills us. We need to kill sin before it kills us. And the only way we're able to kill sin is because it no longer has power over us. Christ's death on the cross and his powerful resurrection has set us free from sin and death. The life we now live, we must live to God. We must consider and count ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is the purifying, hopeful power of the gospel. So tomorrow when you are tempted to that sin that constantly keeps you from following Christ, know if you follow Him, there is power because you are no longer a slave to it. You have been set free. This is the purifying, forgiving, redeeming power of the Gospel. And there's redeeming power of purity. Verses 9-13. through 13. The purifying power of the gospel is foundational to the redeeming power of our purity. We are no longer slaves to sin, so we must pursue purity, both as individuals and together as a church. The Word demands it. Christ demands it. But how does this work in everyday life? How do we purge the evil among us and pursue a pure church? Verse 9. I wrote to you in my letter, Paul says, not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and the swindlers or the idolaters. Since then, you would need to go out of the world. Paul's saying that's impossible. Then verse 11, But now I'm writing you to not associate with anyone who bears the name of brother or sister if he is guilty of sexual immorality, and here's why I mentioned there's going to be other sins, greed, idolatry, reviler, drunken, or swindler, not to even eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? It is not those inside the church whom you are to judge. God will take care of those on the outside. Purge the evil one, evil person, from among yourselves. The Corinthians were confused. They thought, Paul told them, Paul, they thought Paul told them not to associate with sinful unbelievers. So he corrects them. He says, do not associate with sinful believers, those who are living in a perpetual, continual lifestyle of sin. Those who have not repented. Those who are not living and marked by a lifestyle of repentance. Do not associate with them. Purge the evil from among them. What is Paul saying? Church discipline is essential for us to become a pure church. If we tolerate sin, we arrogantly assume that God will not judge us as a church. But He will judge our, our intolerance. He will, ju- or, sorry, our, our, who will judge our tolerance. He will judge our arrogance. We must purge the evil among us. We must not tolerate sin. We must not tolerate it in our own hearts. And we must not tolerate it in the lives of others. Church, we must pursue purity. 
We will never grow as a church. We will never grow and become a healthy disciple-making church unless we purge the evil from among us. And that starts with each and every one of you here in your heart, in your mind. For that to take place, we must look inward. We need to take a long, hard look at ourselves, at our own sin. And then we need to step back and say, is my inaction, my silence, is that allowing sin to be tolerated in my family, in my own heart, in my church? And then we need to apply and remind ourselves of the purifying blood of Christ to apply that to our sinful hearts. Paul says in Colossians, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. He says the wrath of God is coming because of these sins. Put them away. Flee from them. Flee from anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk. Put off the old self. Put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and image of its creator. See, it's not enough just to stop sinning. You need to actually start living as a new creation in Christ. Paul says, put off sin. Put on the image of Christ. Live according to Christ. He continues, put on then as God's chosen ones. Church, listen. Listen to who Paul describes us as. God's chosen ones. Holy and beloved. Put on compassionate hearts. Put on kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Colossians 3. Let me end with this. Now is not the time to rest. Now is the time to begin, if you haven't already, pursuing purity. It begins today. Every day of our lives, we should be killing sin. Otherwise, it will kill us. We must purge the evil from among us in our hearts. We must pursue a pure church. Grace Chapel, I want, I think we all want to be growing as a church, to become a healthy church. We need to pursue health. We do that by pursuing purity. Do you want to be known as a disciple-making church? Then pursue purity. Put to death sin. Put off the old self. Put on compassionate hearts. Put on kindness, put on humility, put on meekness, put on patience, bear with one another, forgive one another, put on love. Love binds everything together. Put off sin and put on Christ. Pursue a church that is pure. Father, how desperately we need your help. Father, point out the sin in our own hearts, whatever it is. Help us to feel the weight. Help us to feel the depth. Work in us, Spirit, so that we repent, 
that we see that this stands against you and your word, and we want purity. You have called us into a life of purity and holiness, to be holy as you are holy. Help us, we pray, to pursue that. Help set us to task to pursue that purity and help us to be founded upon the purifying power of your gospel. Help us to know that your gospel, no matter our sin, is greater. And allow that great gospel, the hope of Jesus, your death, your sacrifice, and your resurrection, to give us the power to live as those who are dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. We need your help, Spirit. Convict us, challenge us, comfort us, and encourage us to pursue purity as your beautiful bride. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.